What's up, Fullerton? What's up, Elaine Bruckner? Welcome to the Murky Middle. I'm Lane Haymont with Jackie Lipton and Kelly Dykesterhouse. I said the name correctly. You did. Perfect. Okay. So don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, um, subscribe to our Patreon, YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening to this. So I wanted to talk about today authors being on social media. Um, There was a kerfuffle on Twitter, apparently a literary agent. I'm not going to say their name because doesn't matter at the Boston writing workshop over the weekend uh, was misquoted as saying authors need social media platform and a website. Otherwise it's a pass. Um, and I understand for nonfiction, that's much more true because it's about, the platform, literally the platform, the numbers. Um, I mean, for example, Robin George Andrews. I, I actually don't know if he has a website, but I do know he's published widely across the internet and print. New York Times, uh, Atlas Obscura, all that jazz. But for fiction, I think it's much different and maybe much less unnecessary. That's double negative. (laughs) Unnecessary. See, I'm bad. I'm a bad agent. No one should ever sign with me. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, you do. That was just weird. Well, I think that taking your intro, like I'm just going to take you to task. Please. on On your phrasing. I think that, so there's a difference between the concept of you have to have a website and a social media presence versus people have to know who you are even in the nonfiction area because you just said in your nonfiction example you have no idea if Robin George Andrews has a website. I'm mm-hmm. sure he does, but, you know, he's known. So when when I talk about platform-driven nonfiction, I'm talking about not just that you have a lot of followers on X or whatever, but, you know, you may Twitter. not. but. Thank you. But you may, you know, so I think yeah, putting nonfiction aside, I don't think anything is absolutely true in publishing. So, yeah, there may be agents who don't want to work with authors who don't have a website or a social media presence. Most of my agent friends, you know, don't particularly care one way or the other. It's better to have no online presence than a problematic online presence. And at the end of the day, I'd rather have a you know, really good book, a really good project to sell than an author with 10 million followers. Yeah, absolutely. I am. I've taken on several clients who did not have websites when I signed them. But uh, when we went out with their book, we had a website, very basic, just a platform so that if somebody wanted to look them up, there was a landing spot that could be developed further as they developed their career. Um, it doesn't have to be elaborate, but I, I don't think a platform or a, a website is necessary to sell your book. I don't think it's necessary to sign an agent, but um, 
But I do think as a career develops, having thinking a platform is necessary. What that platform looks like could be different for every person um, in every project. It doesn't have to be social media. It could be, but, you know, if you want to, as a fiction writer in the kid lit world, do things like have school visits and um, network with librarians and do things where you could help sell your book in that manner, do talks, go to conferences. It's it's nice to have a platform to break out from, just an initial landing spot. And also for people to find you slash your agent, right. um, because not all agents have a list of their clients on their website. We have lists on Publishers Marketplace, but not everyone accesses that regularly. And I'll often get an inquiry about, you know, would so-and-so be interested in this work for hire project or would this illustrator be interested in doing the illustrations for something? And if people can't find you, they can't find your agent maybe, and then that limits some of your career. Right. I think it's been proven, people have said it often enough that people are finally starting to believe it, that posting and having a huge following on places like Twitter or Instagram does not necessarily equate in book sales, um, particularly in Kidlet. That's my only world. I don't know outside of Kidlet. That's my disclaimer. Um, but what it also does is it having a, a following creates community for you as a writer. And I think that that's just as important. Um, you know, being able to talk about the experience with other people who might have similar experiences. It's, it's fairly unique and it can be lonely if you don't have friends who are understanding what you're going through. Um, so social media can be helpful in that respect. So I think part of the misquotation of this agent was saying you need a website because agents want to see how invested you are in your career. I don't agree, but that's one agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're three agents. And okay, I, well, we might all not agree. <laughs> I disagree. I wonder what Kelly thinks. I disagree as well. Okay. So yeah. it's funny because right after that tweet, I screenshot this by an editor whose name I won't say saying, if you are an author, please have your agent contact info on your website. I just thought it was pretty ironic that this person saying you don't need a website, an author, right under that, an editor is saying, put the info on your website with the assumption being you need a website. But I think you're both absolutely right because I've signed on excuse me, represented and sold books of clients who claimed I'm old, I'm not on social media, I don't have a website. And we've talked to the editors about that because it's always a client concern. And the editors never seem concerned. Always say, well, we'll build you up. That's our job. We'll get a website no matter how basic. You don't have to do anything. We'll just build you up. So, I mean... Maybe that was several years ago, but I don't think things have changed so much in that time. No, I, I agree. And I think I wonder if the comment about your agent contact details should be on your website, if that really should be read as somewhere on the Internet, like in your Twitter bio, in your Blue Sky bio, because maybe the editor didn't mean website literally. Maybe they just meant you know, if I Google you, 
I should be able to figure out who your agent is without having to do lots of research. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I also think should clarify of whether or not you need to have a website to get an agent's attention versus a website for editors. Um, Like I said, usually by the time I go out on sub with a client's project, we've developed very simple, it doesn't have to be elaborate, but a landing spot and, you know, claimed their handle online for a website. Um, Again, it's not elaborate. It doesn't need to be, have all the bells and whistles. Um, But I, I, so I don't think you need to have a website to get an agent's attention. No, I I agree. I mean, like both of you, I've sold books for authors who don't have any internet presence at all. And before the book comes out, Mm. we make sure that, you know, there's a website with a picture of the book on it and where you can buy it from and that kind of thing. But, you know, it's for the purposes of getting an agent. And I say this when I do query panels too, and people are stressing about the query letter. It's like, well, I'm always going to read at least the first page, if not pages. Like I'm always going to look at the writing, no matter what the query letter looks like. So if that's the case, obviously I'm going to look at the pages, regardless of whether you have a website or not. So, then I'm curious, and I'm thinking about if I do it, when you receive a query and you're interested, do you go to the author's website? And maybe that seems like a silly, obvious question, but I'm asking because I don't know how often I do do that. I do. <laughs> I, I The reason I do it, and, you know, I'm someone who's as a lawyer, researched in the cyber law area and the privacy area. So I'm, you know, I am very maybe overly concerned about how people present themselves online and I'm usually pretty cautious about how I present myself online. Um, So I'm not checking to see if they have a website. I'm just checking to see, like, you know, is there anything problematic or, or worrying? And, I mean, even like a client I've just recently started working with, I discovered when I Googled her name that actually her name is very similar to another famous author, which, and I didn't know that. So, you know, that was helpful because she's considering she does use pen names. And then that, I I just think it gives you more information Mm. about the person. But if there's not a website, that doesn't stop me from pursuing the author. I just am looking at, well, what information is out there that I may need to deal with as an agent. Yeah, I do the same. That. That's so true, Jackie and Kelly, because I represent a journalist who has the exact same name, I won't say, as a lunatic conspiracy, right-wing, alt-right conservative. And when I received the query, I was like, ah, shit, I love this book, but is this this lunatic? So I had to look it up and Hmm. think whatever he actually had a website and was like, I'm not the lunatic. (laughs) So when I sent the book around and it sold, I I had to make sure to tell people it's not this lunatic. It's not the crazy person out there saying we're putting chips in people. Which even if we are doing that, that wasn't what the book was about. So, you know. No, no. Well, I I, I think in this time, a lot of people don't want to work with, other people of a certain political nature. Well, that just goes to you have to know your audience too, don't you? I mean, there's there's places where 
I mean, the publishing industry as a whole, I guess, is fairly left-leaning, but there are imprints that are right-leaning. And I mean, that's something an, an agent does. And it's probably, I mean, I know it sort of goes beyond the scope of the question you raised, but it is a bit of a know your audience thing. Like if you if you send to an agent who maybe does have views that you're not comfortable with that are, you know, I mean, those are things to think about. I don't think they're necessarily the most important things to think about because I think publishing should be about the work. Um, but, you know, people, I did see a Twitter thread this week, week, weekend about, you know, finding the right agent and how, you know, does it look bad if you go through four or five agents? And it's like, well, not if there's good reasons, but if there are not good reasons, then maybe it does start looking a bit worrisome. That's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. I'm yeah. having trouble staying focused. Yes, same. <laughs> and you, mentioning the politics makes me think, because I, I know I represent clients who have vastly different politics than me, and I don't care. The way I think about it is politics are, my politics are a me problem, and your politics are a you problem. Because yeah. if you can't work with people with differing views, you're not going to work ever. Right. I mean, this is business. Yes, we're in the world of creativity, which ties into the social media. Because there was a great article on Vox just two weeks ago, which is very timely. Two weeks before this Twitter kerfuffle about social media. And it talks about YouTubers and book people having to be on social media and so open and so present. And though that may sell books and be great, it really can hurt their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've had clients blow up who have had people stalk them, uh, get in constant contact, try to show up at houses. And Cynthia Paleo, my client, did a great TikTok about it. Um, and I do think while social media is important, you do have to protect your own mental health. Yeah, and I do think that's a little bit the flip side of what Kelly was saying earlier because, you know, social media has lived up to its early promise and it's also lived down to all the fears we had about it in the first place. And you do have to know your own mileage because it can be a place where you can find community and uh, realise that you're not alone and all those wonderful things. It can also be very a very toxic place, a place where you can, uh, you know, waste a lot of time, where you feel bad, and you don't even realise when you're scrolling on Twitter or Insta or whatever that your mood is just slowly plummeting. So I do think it's important in these times for people to just be aware of their own tolerance and, you know, be, be a bit mindful about that. Wow, you know, when Anne isn't here, this podcast is so much less funny and so much more serious. But, I, you know, <laughs> there, there are two sides to it, I think, is what I'm saying. I have a question for you two, and that is because we've been mostly talking about fiction, but you two do both do a lot of nonfiction. I do some. When you're considering a new nonfiction project or client writing nonfiction, does that is this different in terms of a website and a platform? Um, would you require that before you you considered a nonfiction project? 
absolutely to a platform, not necessarily to a website. For example, my client who had the same name as Mr. Lunatic, I don't know if he had a website. I still don't know if he has a website, but he's a journalist. He has articles online, and what sold his book is really just the story. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd, I'd add to that because I do nonfiction in both the kid lit and the adult realms, and it's different because, you know, I'm with Lane on the adult side. Like, there has to be a platform, but platform doesn't mean huge social media following. It can mean you, you're well published in, you know, the magazines people are reading, that you're known in your field, Um it means that you're a recognised expert in in some way in that field. With Kidlit, it's different because it's really the school and library market that are purchasing the nonfiction Kidlit. So there, when I'm pitching a nonfiction, I'm really leaning into curricular tie-ins, STEM focus. If the person does have a particular affinity with the topic, obviously that's great, you know, if there are no one expert, but it's much less the case because there are so many kid-lit authors who write across the spectrum of nonfiction. They might write in a field like science or history or archaeology or whatever. But like, for example, my client Stephanie Jabot is a dog expert and she has written, I can't tell you how many books about dogs like really a lot more we have sold a lot more books about dogs than I thought the market could bear but she's also an animal scientist she's also a biologist and she writes about other things as well and as long as there's like you know she's writing stuff that she's researched well with expertise with an engaging narrative voice for young people um so so I, I want people to take that on board because I am very conscious when I'm working on a nonfiction kidlit project that I'm positioning it in a different way than I would in an adult space. Yeah, that's exactly it. That um I think it was you, Jackie, that mentioned before just being known. Yeah. Cause I mean, is Salman Rushdie online? Possibly not anymore. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Yeah. I, I I don't know if he has a social media account. And a lot of journalists, I'm thinking of the two women that broke the Epstein case. Um, I mean, I know they were online, but, you know, maybe a couple hundred followers, but it's not their social media that propelled them to quote unquote fame. It is the story that they broke. Mm. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was at the Mystery Writers Festival in Toronto some years ago, the one of the chief justices of the Canadian High Court is now a crime writer and she's also written her memoir and she's a terrific writer because a lot of lawyers are really good writers, particularly judges who write judgments. Uh, I don't know if she has a website or not, but everyone knows who she is. Yeah, I have a lot of clients whose websites I've noticed are just very basic. And I think the story tells itself. And I do think people are on Twitter and Instagram and especially TikTok much more now, so much more that websites seem like they've kind of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. Well, it's a lot of work. I mean, websites are a lot of work to keep up. Um, you know, and if you if you if you do it yourself, it's a lot of time. If you hire someone, you have to pay them. And you know, I I don't know how much use they really are because so much of the information is available elsewhere anyway. So it, I mean, that's interesting to me because I do think the landscape is changing a lot. Mm-hmm. And I I know a lot of agents have their own specific websites, but I don't. And the thought never occurred to me to be to have a website specifically for me because just go to the agency website. Yeah, I I've really tell my clients social media, the website, it, it should serve it should serve you. It should not demand that you serve it. Right. It should not require so much of your time. You should be right spending your time studying your craft in writing or creating if you're an artist and if if social media and your website and your platform starts taking over and and just draining you of all that creativity then it's really it's not serving it's not serving you. That's what this article also mentioned that the authors and the YouTubers complain that having to keep up with their channels and all that jazz kind of sucks the purity out of it they have to think only in terms of capitalism and the algorithms and some people love that i mean hats off to the people who you know really thrive on it and people who do it well and enjoy it but i think the fact that a handful of people just love it and are good at it you know i think back to the early days of blogging you know when blogging was suddenly a big thing for the first time and i was a law professor and i was on a couple of pretty well-read law professor blogs. And I just got a huge kick out of it because it was new, it was about ideas, and it meant that law professors across the country, instead of just being in their little law school, they could all exchange ideas and it was fun and I loved being on there. But, you know, then the internet changed and then it became sort of, then there was trolling and then there were other, then social media started and people started exchanging ideas in other forums. So I think the people who love it and do it because they love it, I know what that feels like like and that's terrific Um, but it's not an obligation it shouldn't be an obligation and if it feels like that you know there's nothing wrong with moving on nothing has to be I started this so I have to do it for the rest of my life it's okay to leave that's fine so I know we have places to be especially Kelly Dykstra house I got the name right now and I want to say it all the time any final thoughts no I think I mean at least in the kid lit realm I would just encourage people to do what's fun, what they're comfortable with. I mean, stretch yourself a little bit when it comes to your platform and social media, but don't feel like it's something that you have to have. And again, I think it keep it so that it serves you and it doesn't take over and demand that you start serving it. Yeah. And I think just take care of your mental health. I just think, you know, if you're playing the long game in your career, which, you know, most authors I think are, talk to your agent and your editor. And if the question is, well, can I get an agent if I don't have, you know, yes, you can. Don't stress about it. Once you have your agent, have a discussion with your agent about it. Mental health is more important than social media. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us on the Murky Middle. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, let us know your thoughts. You can watch this on YouTube or listen to it wherever podcasts are. 